Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show, and we have Jackson Moore from the Bark Board, who covers our Fresno State, uh, who covers the Fresno State Bulldogs for us on 24-7 Sports. Uh, it is our first kind of guest of the year. Jackson Moore gets to come on, be the first guest of the year for the 2021 football season, and we're going to preview Oregon versus Fresno State this Saturday from Austin Stadium. 11 a.m. Pacific time kickoff game is being broadcast on the Pac-12 networks. Uh, Jackson, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, how just how awesome is it to be covering actual football? You've actually covered a game already. Yeah, it's, it was awesome. Uh, not just to cover a game because I got to do two of those last year, but for fans to be in there was, was really cool at Bulldog Stadium last weekend. I will say it was well over 100 degrees, and some of the turf measured in at 150 degrees. So oh, it was, uh, you know, there was about one good quarter where the Bulldogs played well and the fans cheered, and then uh, it was back to air conditioning for everyone, but but us media and the Bulldogs. So uh, I think the next home game will be a little more representative of what we remember. But for Fresno State to win 45-0, it was a fun one to cover. <laughs> Before we kind of dive into all of that and this weekend's game against Oregon, just what was the excitement level around that game just from a fan's perspective of being back into the stadium? Like, was there – like, up here, there's a pretty big buzz that fans are going to be back in the stands, players and coaches are excited, um, fans are excited. You just feel, It feels different this year than, than 2020. What was kind of just that – that that vibe or you know going into that game of we're actually going to get to do this yeah it was big i mean the fresno is kind of a small town feel it, it's a bit it's fairly large uh, population wise but it still has that kind of that feel that you're looking for and i mean people love their fresno state bulldogs and to have not been to a game for uh, almost two years now is something that definitely got people excited to be back out there and uh, the fact that there's some momentum with this team and you've got a head coach that is in a second year, which means he hadn't coached as the head coach in front of fans. You had a lot of players that have joined the team over the last two years, uh, never seen the red wave. Uh, you had Jake Hayner at quarterback. He sat out 2019 as a transfer, but this was really his first game to play in front of fans in the stadium. So, I mean, there was a lot going on and it was the first ever morning game in Bulldog Stadium. Uh, I don't know how frequent that happens at Oregon, but that 11 a.m. kickoff was uh, kind of a spectacle in itself and one we hope doesn't happen again in August anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, the 11 a.m. kickoffs don't happen very often, although it is an 11 a.m. kickoff this week, unfortunately. Um, Fresno State's always, in my eyes, been viewed as one of the premier teams out West from a group of five perspective. Um, it, it feels like, they've been that close to maybe going up a ring in the pecking order of college football um, a couple times. Just what's the expectations right now with this program from a big picture perspective? Um, what, what are the, the fans, 
you know, level of excitement, commitment to this program? Where are they right now? Yeah, you know, the, the tough part with Fresno State has been consistency. They've had really good years, and then a year, maybe as soon as a year later, it drops off pretty quick, and then it comes back, and it's been kind of the way it's it's been at Fresno State. And just being a group of five team in general, it's tough to reload every single year. Boise State's about the only team that's figured out how to do it around here. Um, but this is one of those years where Fresno State's kind of anticipating to have one of those big payoffs. Um You've got a lot of guys that were kind of the young core in 2019 that are upperclassmen now. You've got a head coach that there's a lot of expectations for. Now he's in year two. Uh, last year, the team had – they were the last team in America, from my understanding, to get onto campus. The team did not show up for any offseason workouts. They got uh, right at the end of September for training camp and tried to put together a team – and that team still went three and three. So there's a, a lot of expectations for this team to compete in the Mountain West and with the super seniors uh, as well. I mean, there's more depth at Fresno State than usual. Uh, you've got a quarterback with Jake Hayner that's got a lot of uh, expectations around him. So uh, there's kind of some holes. They feel like if Fresno State can fill them, that this is a team that could really compete at a very high level, uh, even make some national noise this year. And if some of those weaknesses still pop up, then it should still be a fairly decent season for Fresno State, but not one of the, the big years, perhaps. Jackson, uh, you talk about it being a big year. I think Saturday started out on the right foot, obviously. 45 nothing over UConn, really dominant on both sides of the ball. Like you said, kind of all happened within, I don't know, a quarter, quarter and a half, too. It was pretty quick, and then things kind of shifted a little bit. And it was a weird game because of the cramps. Like you said, Hayner had to leave for most of the second half and offensive line in and out of the lineups. But overall, I think you have to be really impressed. Um, what is like a thing on offense that stood out that maybe surprised you? And what's maybe a thing on defense that stood out that maybe surprised you just from what you were expecting from Fresno State in its opener? Yeah, I would say offensively, you know, they started off pretty slow. The first three drives, so I think they had one first down. And so that was surprising. But otherwise, when you talk about what they did well, uh, the blocking of the O-line surprised me. I mean, this is an O-line that has been very poor in the past protection the last two years. Uh, and that's, that's basically the same guys, same coaching staff uh, on the O-line. The coordinator was the former O-line coach. So there's a lot of continuity, which concerns you when the, the, product, the production hasn't been very good. So uh, they surrendered zero sacks, which was a surprise to me. I mean, they gave up just a ton last year, especially the last two games. And uh, that was good to see. And then uh, defensively has been a big question mark just as a whole. It's a new scheme they installed last year. They didn't have time to do it. And this was a defense that not only shut out UConn, only gave up 107 yards. Uh, I mean, there was very few mistakes or slip-ups. or I mean, it, it was just a, as good as it can get from a defensive standpoint. So that was a surprise. I thought they would be improved, but to do that was a pretty big shock. Oregon's coaches and players have brought up the fact that, you know, this is a pretty talented team. The coaches at Oregon have talked out, They've got a lot of power five players on it, whether they were high school guys that chose to, to stay close to home or, or go to the group of, of five level, despite having power five offers or whether it was through transfers. Um, what's the talent like on this team from a recruiting perspective? Is that pretty warranted? You feel like the, this team has maybe a little bit more than a normal amount of power five level players. I think so. I think there's positions where you say, yes, absolutely. That position group could compete with just about 
you know, most of the Pac-12, obviously probably not the top one or two, but most teams. And then there's some position groups where you, you want to make sure they're even competitive in the Mountain West. So that's kind of where I, where I would put it at. Uh, wide receiver is a big one. I mean, you've got Ty Jones, who came from Washington. You've got Jalen Cropper, who's a four-star recruit, who was a local guy who stayed home. You've got this this 2019 class that had a bunch of three-star guys, and they have all all panned out. They've hit on all of them. And, you know, at running back, you've got Ronnie Rivers, who was a guy that was overlooked because of his size. Now he's a, a record breaker at Fresno State with his career numbers. You've got Jake Hayner, a quarterback from Washington, who, I mean, is uh, definitely someone that the Bulldogs needed desperately at that position. Uh, defensive line is really deep, um, probably not – I mean, they've got three seniors, two super seniors at defensive end, another at D tackle. Uh, they had they were one of the leading sack teams in the nation last year. So to have, uh, I mean, they've got about ten guys. They'll probably rotate, and the top end guys could definitely play at a lot of schools. Um, and they've got Elijah Gates from UCLA at safety. Uh, secondary probably doesn't have as much uh, big names or big talent, but they've been pretty solid at the Mountain West level. Um, so. Then you've got like the O-line group where it's been a struggle. You've got linebacker, which was a bit of a question mark. They tried to overhaul that a little bit. Uh, Tyson Maeva is going to lead that group, who was a star at Boise State like four years ago. <laughs> Hasn't played a whole lot in between. So uh, he came out on a good note. But, yeah, I mean, this is a group where you look at some positions and it's as deep, as talented as Fresno State has been. And then there's still other positions that are very much Mountain West average which we'll see if the Bulldogs can elevate some of those or if they can uh, fill those gaps or, or do something to <laughs> make those groups uh, rise a little bit uh, for a game like Oregon where they could be exposed. Just an add-on to what Jackson was saying I actually did an exercise today where I looked through the, the top 10 recruits Fresno State has on the roster um, and I compared it to the last time I'd done the story which was an Oregon played Iowa State obviously a different team they're actually like identical from a ranking perspective from like eight up which I thought was interesting. Like the top eight guys at Boise State, or sorry, Fresno State, and the top eight guys at Iowa State, there's a lot of similarities in terms of the rankings. And I think from a top tier talent perspective, Fresno State has a lot of it. And like what you just established there, the question is depth after it probably. Um, coming off an impressive win like this, and you talked a little bit about expectations for this team in this season and kind of that, but like what's the chatter down there? Because you win 45 nothing and do it that way. And then next week you've got a big game with a borderline top 10 team. Is it let's go win the football game? Is it let's try to be really competitive? What's going to be like an acceptable outcome for the Bulldogs? Yeah, well, I think just in general in Fresno, there's still some Pat Hill in a lot of the fan base. They want to play anybody, anywhere, anytime and think they're going to win those games, no matter if they're number 11 Oregon or, or otherwise. Um, you know, even in 2019, the Bulldogs went four and eight, but they started that season and they took USC to the wire and they played a Minnesota team that spent – a lot of that team season in the top 10 into overtime. And so they haven't played a power five school since then, but there's still a feeling that this team's a lot better than that one and that they can compete. And I think a lot of fans do anticipate Fresno state to go in there and, and play as closely as they can and cross their fingers for an upset. Uh, but I think when you use the term acceptable, I think, you know, if they can just cover 20 point spread, if they can be competitive for three quarters or so, or, you know, whether they start slow or end slow, if they can have two or three good quarters in between and maybe lose by 10 to 14, perhaps, I think Fresno State fans would really be thumping their chests a little bit going into the rest of the schedule, even though it would be a pretty far cry from actually winning the game. You earlier brought up Ronnie Rivers, their star running back, uh, career rush, a career leader in touchdowns. 
I think it's 45. Is that right? Yes. Uh, at Fresno State. So obviously he scored a ton. Um, and I watched a good chunk of that game uh, last week against UConn and felt like he was just as important in the passing game as he was in the run game. I don't know if that was just a one-off or, or not, but just this offense feels like it's built around him. And for Oregon, is that kind of the focus here? Hey, like Hayner's a good quarterback, but let's let's shut down Ronnie Rivers because if you do that, the offense really slows down. Or can this can Fresno State win this game without a really strong performance from Ronnie Rivers? Yeah, you know, the Bulldogs, as good as Ronnie is, they feel really good about the passing game as well. I think they have the ability to be balanced and kind of lean on either side when they need to. Um, you know, Ronnie is a guy that was more of a um, – kind of a, an all-purpose back his first couple of years. And uh, last year really put on some weight and is a little bit better between the tackles, a little more physical without losing that step in the receiving game. So he's he can do just about any of it from the position and they're going to keep him on the field as much as they can and use him in a very different variety of ways. Um, I don't think it's more much so about stopping either the pass or the run, but I think it's dominating at the line of scrimmage. If Jay Kaner doesn't have time to throw – all those receivers don't matter. If Ronnie doesn't have the lanes to run, his talent doesn't matter a whole lot. And with the questionable O-line that Fresno State has and the talent that Oregon has on the front seven, uh, that's kind of, I think, the recipe to make this one go sour for the Bulldogs pretty quick. You just talked about Hayner a little bit, and I think those listening, we've talked about him already. Started at Oregon, backed up Jake Browning, ends up at Fresno State. Really good last year in 2020. What, what have you seen the improvements from – when he first got here, obviously you didn't get to watch him in 19, but maybe you heard some things to, to where he is now, because I was really impressed with the first half of football we saw from him. And obviously somebody that understands the, the Oregon program being kind of from the Washington, Oregon rivalry a little bit. What can you tell us about Jake? Yeah, uh, I think probably the biggest improvements from Jake are just being, um, you know, football IQ from knowing the playbook. They, they call Jake 2.0 this year as far as they don't really need to coach him anymore. It's kind of his own, what he's doing on his own time and, what he's studying uh, last year, it, he was expected to be the starter, but it was kind of a competition even into the season. Uh, they had a backup named Ben Woldridge who took a few drives in the middle of games and uh, Hayner wasn't even necessarily the overall, I mean, hundred percent starter, but uh, he put up some big numbers and especially towards the end of the year where uh, he got a little more confident. Uh, definitely. He, he was kind of forced into putting up some big numbers in some games, the way that the defense was struggling and, uh, the O-line was, was struggling. So um, some improvements on the field, though, it does appear to be a little more patient in the pocket. He um, had to run a lot last year, and if they can keep him from getting that back in his head, he's going to be able to stand back there and be a lot more effective without trying to be a playmaker. And, and then that as well, just kind of depending on the talent that he has around him. Uh, when he came out and, and opened the season last year, he had, I think, three turnovers in that first game, and he's kind of settled down since then. But he's got that bit of them inside of him that, that wants to make the big play and he's got to kind of rein that in a little bit. Is, is Hayner or any other players besides Ronnie Rivers viewed as maybe a potential NFL guy, like trying to get a, a feel for the talent of this team. And are there NFL players, whether they're a senior right now or a sophomore that in a couple of years is going to have a good chance to hear his name. What's the NFL prospectus of this team? Yeah, I think there's probably multiple guys in the receivers room. Um, you know, 
I think just Ty Jones being 6'4 and having some uh, good moments at Washington and what he's going to do this season, he's going to have a shot. Probably not going to be a high-profile draft pick or anything, but he's going to be a prospect for sure. I think Jalen Cropper is probably the one to watch. He's a junior right now. He really made a big leap this offseason in the weight room. He put on a ton of weight, and he's still – I mean, he's about the fastest guy on the team. He's that four-star recruit that was uh, – about 15 miles from Fresno and, and decided to stay home. So the Bulldogs are very fortunate to have him. Uh, he's a guy I could see potentially leaving if the opportunity presents itself. And maybe if he does come back being an NFL type of guy the year later, um, the D line, you know, it's tough for Fresno state to put out a, a lot of guys there. Um, I do think Kevin Atkins and David Perales, uh, that tackle on an end respectively are probably kind of undrafted free agent kind of guys. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of solid guys, but those are definitely the ones that stand out as maybe being next level. Um, Dante Bull at left tackle, if he can get his body in order, he could be a guy, but he's not quite there yet. We've had the, obviously the opportunity to speak with Tim DeRuder a little bit, and he's not talking about the matchup with Fresno State or talking about the implications of he, you know, the school he coached at. For the fan base, what, 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 what is the perspective? I guess I'm just curious on Tim DeRude. I know he wasn't, he wasn't, he, he was relieved of his duties in the middle of a season after a couple of really strong seasons to start. What's the kind of Tim DeRude perspective? And I'm sure the fan base is aware of the fact that he's coaching in Oregon. What's kind of the narrative around him down in Fresno right now? Yeah, you know, it's kind of at the point where you would anticipate that some of the anger over the way that that ended would dissipate by now and you could appreciate the championship seasons he had, but there is just constant bad pub when it comes to Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills receiver who grew up in a small town outside of Fresno, wanted to be a bulldog and Drew and his staff said, no, thank you. Not even do a walk on. And the fact that he is making millions and millions and is always on social media complaining about it is a constant reminder for fans about that era. Uh, Jordan Love at, Green Bay is another guy, similar story. Uh, so if there weren't for some of those current things that they're pointing at DeRuiter for, I think it would be water under the bridge. But uh, those types of things have, have still left some resentment. But, you know, DeRuiter had some really special moments at Fresno State. And I think in general, he was a well-liked guy. I mean, he never upset anyone that I know outside of the losses and then the red wave for anything he said or did. He was a class act guy. And, um, you know, it just became very clear that the direction of the program needed to, to be changed and uh, they've made the move at the right time. Um, back to that defensive group, just Fresno State's front seven in particular, their defensive line has generated quite a bit of praise from the offensive side of the football out of Oregon. Um, what, what do you feel like makes this group special and just kind of the development they've had over the last couple of seasons? Because it sounds like, feels like, and it looks like they generate quite a bit of pressure and get, get quite a bit of number of sacks or quarterback hurries on their opponents. Yeah, um, they bring back uh, Kwame Jones and David Corrales, who both uh, produce a lot of sacks off the end and – you know, the super senior year is one that, I mean, it's big for a school like Fresno State because Perales, or excuse me, Jones and in the interior, Kevin Atkins, two of the stars that have been here a long time, they would be gone, of course. And now you have top end guys back and better depth, the guys that would be starters had they not been there. So 
I mean, that's what you would expect, but it's been especially important in the D-line room. And then you've got Aaron Mosby, who was a linebacker all his career or the last couple of years. Now he's a defensive end. He's a guy that can rush the edge. He had the, the scoop and score against UConn. He's also a guy that can drop back. Um, so the end position is really deep. I mean, one of their best recruits they've had in the Tedford era is a guy that's a senior who's like the number four, number five defensive end, Isaiah Johnson. So that, that's a really special group. At tackle, they really only had the one guy back, Kevin Atkins. Um, they've got two guys that have been developing for a while, uh, Matt Lawson, and then the other is Leonard Payne, who started last week. Uh, Payne is a guy that was one of the few opt-outs last season, and he really uh, came back looking like a different dude. And then they went to the transfer portal. They got uh, Evan Bennett out of Oregon State, who's a young guy who had some starts there. And they also got Ryan Bame, who was a grad transfer at Cal Poly. And so they've really got five tackles and about five ends. I mean, it's top-end talent and it's depth. They can rotate in and out. Um, it's going to serve them well in conference. We'll see if maybe some of those back-end guys can compete with an Oregon. But uh, I think for most of the season, that's what's going to be their strong suit on defense. All right, Jackson, we're going to kind of wrap this up, asking you some keys for Fresno State. Give me a couple of things, two or three, that Fresno State needs to do to win, and then a couple of things that they can't let Oregon do if they want to win. Yeah, um, I mean, offensively, I mean, it's kind of one and the same for, for my first point is that the Bulldogs really need to be competent in the trenches. They've got to be able to give Jake Hainer time to throw. They've got to be able to let Ronnie Rivers be able to make some plays and give enough time for the receivers to get open downfield. Um, and then opposite, <laughs> they can't let Oregon, Oregon's D-line uh, and front seven stop them from doing that. Um, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is the big thing to watch. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of deficiencies on this Fresno State offense, but I could see him making plays that look like power five versus FCS <laughs> and, you know, that kind of gap. And if, I mean, it can turn what would otherwise be a pretty evenly matchup into something that looks a little bit of a joke. <laughs> uh, so we'll see if Fresno State uh, can handle that one. Um, and then defensively, um, you know, they, they really have to be well-rounded, which they did last week. But we saw last season when the defense wasn't installed quite the same way, they, was they would basically stop the opponent's strength and give up the weakness mm -hmm. and to the point where you've got a – uh, just a stiff pro style quarterback running for a hundred yards from UNLV on the Bulldogs. Like, I mean, they won the game and they got the mission done, but I imagine there's not as a weakness in Oregon's offense that they're going to be able to give up. And if they do, it's, it could get ugly. So, um, and then for me as covering a lot of group of five football, it's about starting fast. Um, that's always a, a struggle to match this speed and athleticism and physicality that you see and just the overall power five environment. Uh, the Bulldogs are doing a lot of uh, first team against first team in practice this week to try to uh, account for that. So uh, those, those are kind of my keys there that I'm, I'm watching for. You, earlier you mentioned that, you know, keeping the, the score close to the spread, which is last time I checked a 20 and a half point favorite for Oregon. I'm assuming then you're expecting this game to, to not be close and, and end in favor of Oregon. Um, is that a safe assumption? And just, and then secondly, um, what's just your overall thoughts on this team going forward, you know, after Oregon, what's kind of the expectations that you expect to see out of Fresno state from a win loss perspective? Yeah. So with this game, I think there's going to be 
a lot of moments where Fresno State looks competitive, and I think there's going to be just enough moments where they aren't that that will lead to a 10 to 20 point kind of advantage for Oregon. That's kind of what I anticipate. I think you'll see a Fresno State team that covers the spread and feels good about its performance, even though they lose, and an Oregon team that can probably say this Fresno State team's better than people some people realize. And we won, got out of there, and now it's time for Ohio State kind of thing. So I can see both teams taking moral victories away from it. That's kind of what I'm ranging in as far as the final outcome. Uh, as far as Fresno State afterwards, um, they the rest of the non-conference is uh, an FCS game against Cal Poly, and then they go to UCLA, which is kind of a question mark. Um, the Bulldogs have a three-game winning streak against the Bruins, and they have gotten used to winning the, the matchup. But uh, based off last week, and UCLA looked uh, pretty dang good against Hawaii, which is not a terrible Hawaii team either. So um, that, that's kind of one of those toss-up games. And then you get in the conference where in the Mountain West, there's a lot of teams with a similar story as Fresno State where they're usually pretty good, and now the super seniors have elevated them from a talent and a depth standpoint. Um, you've got probably four teams in the Mountain West West Division that are going to be pretty strong, and then you've got Boise State on the other side. So I could see Fresno State dropping a game or two and still being in the title discussion uh, from the West. Anyone uh, that's six, uh, seven and one, or six and two could come out of there as a champ. So I look for Fresno State probably in that eight to four kind of range, and they could still be in that Mountain West Championship game uh, even if it plays out like that. Make sure to follow Jackson Moore on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. Go to Barkboard for your Fresno State coverage ahead of this game on Saturday, 11 a.m. Jackson, once again, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. And real quick, uh, Duck fans, make sure to give him a follow because he he covers quite a bit uh, for us here at 24-7 Sports. We're going to have him back on again later this year. Uh, he helps cover Stanford. He helps cover Cal, uh, two other opponents that Oregon will be playing. So uh, real quick, what's it like juggling, what, five programs right now that you cover, which is pretty remarkable? Yeah, it's been challenging, um, but you know, I've been on the road a lot this month for, for training camps and got to see quite a bit of Cal. got to see a lot of Stanford, um, just first year covering the Cardinal and uh, that's been a bit of an experience seeing uh, the uniqueness of their program and how they operate and uh, uh, some things that are pretty impressive over there. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how all these teams play out. And um, Cal's got a, a 7.30 kickoff on Saturday, so I'll have some time to catch my breath after <laughs> the Bulldogs and the Ducks wrap up. So um, hopefully it looks like pretty soon we'll have some extra hands to, to help me out there. But right now it's been a, <laughs> bit of a, a juggling act for sure. Can I can oh. just be quick, Matt, before I know we're trying to wrap up, but I just had a quick question on that. So, so what, what's a Saturday going to be like for you where you have five schools that are playing? Like, how are you even juggling that? Are you going to any of them? Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the downside. I'm going to be remote. Uh, I mean, Fresno, Oregon's usually, I mean, this is a game I wouldn't miss. <laughs> I mean, Fresno State's my, the first team I covered out of all of them. And this is going to be an awesome matchup. I remember watching a lot of those Fresno State Oregon games in the 2000s, wanting to see Austin Stadium. So sad I'll miss that one. But I'll be up at 9 a.m. I'll have the Stanford game on. Uh, they've got the, the morning kickoff against K-State. I'll flip on the other TV. I'll have the Bulldogs in Oregon. Uh, San Jose State plays at USC in the afternoon, and I'll have Cal in uh, uh, Nevada as the nightcap. So fortunately, it's uh, pretty spaced out, spaced out this week. 
and I'll be able to, to do it pretty good remotely. But again, yeah, pretty soon uh, we should have some extra hands uh, on site. To, uh, I'm not responsible for, for that many games. <laughs> you know, well, good luck on Saturday. I mean, that that's pretty remarkable. I mean, what, what's real quick, what's like the, what are the most, the, 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 how many press conferences have you done in one day? Yeah, probably three would be tops. And, and uh, I don't want to, I mean, with everything that's gone on over the last year, it's been incredibly difficult for sure. everyone. But as far as me covering teams that are about 200 miles away from each other, it's been pretty convenient to be on Zoom with so many different teams. For so, sure. And that's, there's kind of a hybrid with that, especially the way that the Bay Area schools are being pretty careful. So uh, make sure to go ahead, sorry. a lot of teams in a short amount of time uh, this year as well. Make sure to give Jackson Moore a follow on Twitter because clearly uh, this guy's working like crazy right now. And uh, he knows everything down in the Bay Area and everything in between uh, for, for football. And we're going to have him on again to preview Cal, to also preview the Stanford football games. And uh, Jackson, really appreciate your time. And we'll definitely talk to you down the road. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Talk to you later, folks. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.